Hey, welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, October 29th, 2023, and I'm back with you today with a few thoughts from Ohio State's hard-fought 24-10 win over Wisconsin in Madison last night. So a lot of Ohio State fans are probably going to shit on this performance because Well, that's how a certain segment of the fan base is programmed, no matter what. But if we can set aside Kyle McCord's first half turnovers for just a moment, that was probably the most balanced the Ohio State offense has looked against a quality opponent all season. 407 yards of total offense, 226 through the air, 181 on the ground. Before I went to bed last night, I tweeted, that Ohio State winning on the road in late October with their defense and running game is like putting on a pair of comfortable old jeans. Just kind of feels like home, right? I mean, I almost forgot the Buckeyes can win games like this. And, you know, look, this was a game I had circled before the season started because of where it fell on the schedule. The week after a slugfest with Penn State, I've been having to turn around from that game, travel to Madison, where the Buckeyes needed overtime to win the last two times they played there. I mean, it just seemed like a dangerous proposition to me when I was looking at the schedule uh, before the season started. And when Paige and I previewed the schedule back in July, this it was, the, it was this area of the schedule that we both thought Ohio State was most likely to drop a game before Michigan. Paige and I both thought Ohio State would be 7-1 and one coming out of October, but here they are, 8-0, with probably the best playoff resume in the country and a great case to be number one in the initial college football playoff rankings on Tuesday. By the way, last night's 24-10 win over the Badgers was the largest margin of victory in Camp Randall for the Buckeyes since 2000. That's 23 years ago. And Camp Randall is one of the toughest places to win in the country, even when Wisconsin isn't that good. And we saw that again last night. Now, Travion Henderson returned from a five-week absence and was back in the starting lineup for the first time since Notre Dame. And man, was he special. 207 total yards on 28 touches. And that included a game-sealing 33-yard touchdown run with 5.15 to play. Henderson averaged 6.8 yards per carry in the run game. He caught four passes for 45 yards. Ohio State also got some nice production from Xavier Johnson in the run game. Four carries for 29 yards, which I believe are all on jet sweeps. Man, I love watching Johnson carry the football, by the way. Can we just earmark him for like four or five carries a game from here on out? I've been back and forth for two seasons on Trey Henderson. Uh, you know, Last year, we all wondered aloud on this podcast if Mayan Williams should be the bell cow. For a hot minute th- this season, we thought it might be Chip Trainum that should be the lead back. And just last week, I'd been clamoring for more Dallin Hayden. Uh, Henderson has had this you know, winding up and down journey during his three seasons at Ohio State, which has been full of fits and starts, I mean, largely because of injuries. But there is no denying the one quality that he brings to the table, which is his explosive playmaking ability. That sets him apart from the rest of the backs on this roster. The Ohio State offense is a very different animal when he is healthy. And Henderson was a much-needed breath of fresh air last night. The timing of his return to the starting lineup could not have been more perfect, and I'm not sure Ohio State wins this game without him. With Emeka Ekbuka sitting out for the second straight game, though Ryan Day said in the postgame Ekbuka is very close to returning, 
Marvin Harrison Jr. continued his case for the Heisman and Bolitnikoff Awards with six receptions on 10 targets for 123 yards and two touchdown catches, including a gorgeous 19-yard contested catch in the corner of the end zone to break a 10-10 tie in the third quarter. That catch capped a nine-play, 75-yard drive that was an immediate answer to Wisconsin's only touchdown drive of the game to start the third quarter, which tied the game at 10. I thought that was a huge moment in the game, Harrison Jr.'s touchdown catch, that is, because the crowd was getting back into the game. It seemed like things were starting to turn in a bad direction for the Buckeyes. But that drive and the touchdown catch by Marvin Harrison Jr. ended any notion that would, Wisconsin would get back into this game. Now, last week, Joel Klatt used what I thought was a pretty good baseball analogy for Marvin Harrison Jr. Klatt said Harrison Jr. is Ohio State's, quote, out pitch. He's Mariano Rivera's cutter, right? When the Buckeyes need to get out of a jam, they can always turn to Harrison Jr. That 19-yard touchdown catch in the third quarter was like getting a strikeout with the bases loaded to end the inning. (laughs) And if we want to continue the baseball analogy, Harrison Jr. was without his great setup man, Emeka Buka, last night. Yeah, I mean, if Harrison is the best closer in the game, then Emeka Ibuka is probably the best middle reliever. And when Ibuka is back, you have two receivers who, who can get Kyle McCord out of a jam. And let's not forget, it was Emeka Ibuka, not Marvin Harrison Jr., who bailed the Buckeyes out on the road at Notre Dame. I mean, Harrison Jr. had 30 yards receiving against the Irish in that game. And it was Ibuka who caught the ball in double coverage at the one-yard line to set up the game-winning touchdown, not Harrison Jr., so you have two, let's say it, you know, late game relievers that you can put in the game when Ohio State really needs them to get those those key outs. Not to go too far with the analogy. So uh, it'll be great to get Igbuka back, uh, and hopefully that happens very soon. Now I said in our preview pod that I thought Cade Stover would be impactful in this game, but he was oddly quiet last night after catching two touchdown passes in last year's game uh, against Wisconsin. Stover was not targeted last night. I did not have a zero target night for Cade Stover on my bingo card for this game. And the fact that he was so quiet makes the performance by Marvin Harrison Jr. last night all the more impressive, all the more important. So let's talk about Kyle McCord finally. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Last night was probably the worst game of his young career. Three first-half turnovers, two picks, and a fumble. McCord had not thrown an interception since the opener against Indiana, and his interception, it, the, the first interception he threw in the end zone at the end of the first quarter on first and goal from the Wisconsin nine-yard line was probably the worst decision he's made in his career so far. Now, his second pick in the second quarter was a little different. Wisconsin quarterback Ricardo Hallman, who's actually a very good player, made a nice play in zone coverage. He peeled off his man to make the interception. Ryan Day said in the postgame he was more inclined to credit Hallman for a savvy play than blame McCord for the mistake. Hallman actually leads the Big Ten in interceptions with five, and he's second in the country behind only Xavier Watts of Notre Dame, who has six. So he's a good player. you got to credit him for a nice play. But... As he's done all season, McCord was much better in the second half. He was he completed all seven of his passes after halftime for 86 yards and a touchdown pass. Actually, after his second interception, McCord completed 13 of his last 15 passes. But he was sacked three times after halftime, and he was flagged for an intentional grounding that ended a promising drive in the fourth quarter. And also, McCord appeared to have re-aggravated an injury to his ankle. There was a video circulating on Twitter of McCord limping to the team bus with a giant ice pack on his left ankle after the game. 
So, you know, a rough night all around for Kyle McCord. I, I do think you have to give some credit to a pretty solid Wisconsin defensive front for doing a good job of pressuring him in the second half. On the night, McCord was 17-26 for 226 yards and two touchdown passes. But, of course, with the two INTs and the fumble. And, look, without those three turnovers, Ohio State probably wins this game by four touchdowns. I mean, those mistakes really kept Wisconsin in the game. There's no doubt about it. And let's be honest here, a similar first half against the likes of a Michigan or in the college football playoff would likely get Ohio State beat. So suffice to say, McCord has to be better than he was last night. At the same time, and this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion among Ohio State fans, I still have a lot of faith in Kyle McCord. I think he's going to be fine. I think what we're seeing in McCord is a much more normal growth trajectory for a young quarterback you know, with plenty of ups and downs than what we've seen from other Ohio State quarterbacks of recent vintage. C.J. Stroud, for example, his growth in year one was not normal. It was the exception to the rule. It was not the rule. And Stroud is a very special talent. I mean, come on, number two overall picks don't grow on trees. And then look at what Stroud is doing right now in the NFL. And you also have to consider that Stroud had a much better offensive line blocking for him and a lot more skill talent to work with back in 2021 than McCord does now. Think about it. In 2021, with the exception of the Nebraska game where Garrett Wilson had to sit out with a concussion, Stroud had Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, three future first-round picks at receiver to throw to all season long. It was only into the Rose Bowl that he was down to just Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he also had four NFL tackles, Thayer Mumford, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, Paris Johnson Jr., and Dewan Jones blocking for him. And this season, the offensive line is patchwork compared to the 2021 unit. And because of all the injuries, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Cade Stover have, have been McCord's only reliable targets. Now, I've seen and heard the term game manager applied to McCord, and I think that is totally underselling his abilities and his contributions so far. He's not a top five draft pick right now. I know that. I understand that. But he's much more than a game manager. Come on, give me a break. I love Kyle McCord's mental and physical toughness. I mean, think about it. After every single one of his mistakes last night, the fumble, the two picks, and the intentional grounding, Ohio State scored on their next possessions. It was a team effort, of course, and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Trey Henderson you know, had a lot to do with it. But McCord made plays on those drives, too. So give him credit for battling through you know, a rough night, battling through some mistakes, not getting down on himself, and then leading scoring drives you know, on the ensuing drive after each one of those four mistakes. And he did it in one of the toughest stadiums in the Big Ten to win. Also, I mean, isn't this just Big Ten football in late October that we're seeing? Right? Some of these struggles, that's what this is. I mean, it, it's a young quarterback, but also it's tough to win football games in the Big Ten at this time of year, especially in a stadium you know, like Camp Randall. And look, guys are beat up and, uh, you know, maybe and also maybe just give a little credit to the opponent for making some plays, too. I mean, that Wisconsin defense is pretty salty. Uh, some of those kids, Hunter Waller, Ricardo Hallman, C.J. Getz, those are good football players. Uh, as John Cooper liked to say, it, those players are on scholarship, too. So let's give a little credit to Wisconsin for playing well last night. OK, let's talk about the Ohio State defense. Now, I thought the stand they made 
on the goal line at the end of the second quarter to force Wisconsin into a field goal was a huge moment. If Wisconsin punches it in there, and for a moment it looked like they did on a screen pass that was overturned on replay because the receiver's knee touched the ground. If Wisconsin punches it in there, we might be talking about a different game. But instead, Tommy Eichenberg stuffed Braylon Allen on third down and one at the one-yard line uh, on an attempted shovel pass to force the field goal. Uh, Allen would be injured on the play on top of all that and would not return to the game. It was a rough night for Allen. He also fumbled in the first quarter. But that was a huge moment in the game to force the field goal and knock Allen out of the game, though you, you never want to wish injuries on anyone, of course. But I just love the way the Ohio State defense competes in goal line situations. They don't give you an inch. Everything is earned. And it shows you the spirit and the pride of that unit. So I was just really impressed with that goal line stand. It was a huge moment in that game for the Buckeyes. Now, on the night, the pass rush was not quite as effective as it has been in recent weeks. Only 16 pressures and two sacks for the Buckeyes last night. And one of those sacks was by Jordan Hancock. And they did give up the touchdown drive to Wisconsin to start the third quarter, which was a little surprising. Uh, They were also a little sloppy in the tackling department. 12 missed tackles on the night for the defense. It was also the defense's worst tackling performance of the season, according to PFF. The defense received its lowest tackling grade of the season from PFF, a grade of 56.9. JT Tuimolowal, Lathan Ransom, and Denzel Burke all finished with tackling grades in the 20s. Which, hey, look, let's face it, unusual for all three of those players. All three of those kids having really, really good seasons, like first team all Big Ten seasons. So an off night for those three. And I think maybe even, well, in the case of Tui Molowau and Ransom, maybe you see the effect of that Penn State game last week, uh, last night. They just weren't quite themselves tackling, and it might just have been the wear and tear of that Penn State game and then having to turn around and play Wisconsin the next week. But the defense still managed to hold the Badgers to only 259 yards of total offense. Wisconsin was only 6 of 16 on third down. Braden Locke, who actually showed me a little something making a few plays on that touchdown drive. He finished the night of 18 of 39 for 165 yards, otherwise not very impactful in the passing game. It was the third game in a row the Ohio State defense held the opposing quarterback to under a 50% completion percentage. Last week, Drew Aller completed only 43% of his passes. Two weeks ago, Purdue's Hudson Card was held to 41%. And the Buckeyes were one completion, one incompletion away from holding Talia Tungabailoa of Maryland under 50%. Tungabailoa finished his day against the Buckeyes 21 of 41 with two picks. So it is hard to complete passes against this Buckeye secondary. And, you know, on a night when the defense was not up to its usual standard in tackling, that was not the case for Tommy Eichenberg. Eichenberg finishes the Buckeyes' leading tackler with seven, and of course that included the huge goal line stop on Braylon Allen at the end of the second quarter. He finished with a PFF grade of 82.6 for tackling, which led the team. It was also a really good night for Jack Sawyer. He finished the night as Ohio State's highest-graded defender, according to PFF, with a grade of 80.5. He was also Ohio State's second-leading tackler with six. Now, there were a couple of concerns on the injury front for the defense, though, coming out of this game, starting with Lathan Ransom. Ransom had to leave the game in the fourth quarter with a non-contact leg injury of some kind. Yikes. And JT Tuimolowau took a shot to his hip or to his ribs. uh, It was hard to tell, but that took him out of the game for a few plays, though he would return. That That was good to see. But the Ransom injury, man, that did not look good. And Jeremy Birmingham said in the postgame that the injury looked like it might be an Achilles. I mean, when we're talking about a non-contact injury to the ankle or foot area, I mean, man, often that is what that is. 
I really hope it's not that serious. I mean, Ransom is having an excellent season. He has the ultimate trust of the coaching staff. He never leaves the field. Only Davis and Igbenosan has played more snaps than Ransom this year. Now, I had assumed Sonny Styles would take Ransom's place at the Bandit, but Jeremy Birmingham noted after the game that it was actually Jordan Hancock who slid into the Bandit position. Man, it is so nice to have a healthy Jordan Hancock. He is so versatile. Either way, I think it's likely to be some combination of Hancock and Styles filling in for Ransom if he can't go next week against Rutgers. The Buckeyes are very fortunate to have the depth that they do in the secondary. You know, they had to rely on their depth at corner last week at Penn State or against Penn State, you know, with, with Denzel Burke unavailable. But, you know, even that is being tested right now. I mean, remember, Jihad Carter went down against Penn State. I don't think Perry Eliano and Jim Knowles want to go any deeper into the roster at safety than they are now. I mean, then you're talking about, you know, Cam Martinez. I mean, yikes. And then maybe freshman Malik Hartford if they have to go there. So, you know, we really, really got to hope for no more, no further injuries in the secondary for the Buckeyes. But of course, there was good news on the injury front last night. And I mentioned him earlier, Denzel Burke. He was back in the lineup last night. It was good to see him in there. And Burke had a nice pass breakup on a deep shot that Wisconsin took in the fourth quarter. There was a lot of hand fighting between Burke and the receiver. But Burke stayed with it and forced the incompletion. I just love the way Burke, actually all the Ohio State corners are really competing in coverage, right? They're competing for the football and really fighting uh, for position and fighting to, for the football. And it was a, it was a perfect example of uh, that play last night where Burke in coverage on the deep shot, just you know, really competing to force the incompletion. Just night and day from last season, really, the, the way the corners are competing in coverage. So... How do we evaluate this performance by the Buckeyes? I said it at the top. I had this game circled as a potential stumble because of where it fell on the schedule. I thought the Buckeyes might be a little worn down from that slugfest against Penn State last Saturday, but instead they walk away with their largest margin of victory in Camp Randall in 23 years. I think the Buckeyes now have the best playoff resume in the country. I think they have a legitimate case to be number one in the first playoff rankings on Tuesday. With Trey Henderson back in the lineup and Emeka Ibuka close to returning, I think the offense still has another level that it can reach. Now, the Buckeyes have another good test in Piscataway against a salty 6-2 Rutgers team that can play defense and run the football. Rutgers ranks ninth nationally in total defense right now. They have an interesting athlete and quarterback Gavin Wimsat, who has seven rushing touchdowns this season, and a very good run, running back in Kyle Manungai who is second in the Big Ten in rushing right now with 744 yards. Manungai also has seven rushing touchdowns for the Scarlet Knights. Rutgers was idle yesterday, so they will be going into that game with an extra week to prepare for the Buckeyes. The early line in that game is Ohio State minus 18.5. I think that's according to FanDuel. Finally, it has been eerily quiet the last two days on the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. There are whispers that more details will be coming out soon, perhaps in the coming week, that will paint an even uglier picture of the situation. Now, Dougley Marie said last week, without divulging any new details, that there might be another level to this scandal that we've not heard yet. Now, Pete Thamel of ESPN hinted on game day yesterday that we might be hearing from Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti on the matter at some point very soon. The Big Ten does have some autonomy here in this situation to punish Michigan, though a more serious punishment would have to be voted on by representatives of the other member institutions. 
look, these are uncharted waters, both for the Big Ten and the NCAA. This is the first cheating scandal of its kind that the game has seen. Nobody knows for sure how this is going to play out. Now, I still have my eye on the administration at Michigan. I just find it very hard to believe that the leadership there won't step in at some point as more details come out, especially if these whispers are true that, you know, the picture is just going to get uglier. I just don't think the administration at Michigan wants the reputational damage that is sure to come with this scandal if it continues to stay quiet. And at this point, I mean, with the way things are going, I'm personally having a very hard time envisioning Jim Hardbaugh on the sidelines in the big house next Saturday night when Michigan plays Purdue. I'm just having a really tough time seeing that. But we'll see. These are strange, strange days indeed in college football and at the University of Michigan. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Look for a preview of the Rutgers game from Paige, Chad, and myself this coming Thursday. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks. You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.